Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Planet Podcast. It's Alexander Verbeek again. Um, you can say that the Planet Podcast is the audio extension of the Planet Newsletter. And of course, I hope that everybody will read the Planet Newsletter as well. Um, for those of you that are new to call in, it's a new way of podcasting where the show is recorded before a live audience. And I encourage everyone to be part of that live audience. And while I'm speaking now, I see that we already have three people in the live audience and that number I hope will grow in the future and perhaps even during this show. Um, another way of approaching this is that you can say that you have a live debate between two or more people, which is then later published as a podcast. And that is the unique space that Colin occupies. It's, it's social podcasting. So it blends uh, a trend like Clubhouse with the already existing format of uh, podcasting. So for today, I would like to focus on a question that has so often been asked to me, and that is, what can you do about the climate crisis at an individual level? Or can you even do something at an individual level? Or should we leave it to the bigger structures and, and, and government? And the answer is long, and it includes many examples of successful activities. And somebody that has successfully worked for many years, both professionally and as a volunteer, is Sven Tweetal. I hope I pronounce you your surname correctly. And many of you may know him from Twitter, where he has more than 300,000 followers. Sven is a former director at UNEP and environmental ambassador to the city of Arendal. And he has a long history of writing and lecturing on climate change. He's the founder and CEO of Klima 2020, an environmental consultancy that is based in Norway, where he's also calling in from today. He's also chair of the Norwegian Rainforest Foundation. And his publications include uh, Climate in Peril, uh, which he wrote about 10 years ago. It's a popular guide to the IPCC reports. And a couple of years later, he wrote Green Shifts. It's a handbook for environmentally friendly regions in Europe. I made a short version because there's so much more to say about everything that he has done. done. Sven, very much welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's, uh, it's a new, <laughs> new thing for me, this, and, and very exciting, actually. Yeah, it is exciting, and I'm very excited to to have you in in the show. Um, for the audience, we know each other already for for ages. We've always been retweeting each other's tweets. We've been in touch in uh, in uh, direct messages uh, on Twitter, and now it's wonderful to be in this uh, podcast together. So to start off, um, could could you briefly explain? the situation we are in now with the climate crisis and, and the loss of nature. How would you, how would you summarize it to, to an audience? Are you optimistic, pessimistic, and, and where, should we, where should we start? Well, it is, you have to be an optimist, but it is getting more and more difficult, I would say. Uh, uh, to sum up um, uh, the climate crisis, you know, for, for 10,000 years, uh, we uh, humans have been living with approximately 14 centigrades average temperature on the, on the globe and that was a, a very nice temperature for for uh, development of, of humanity and uh, then of course when um, we had the industrial revolution just uh, 200 years ago we started to pour uh, greenhouse gases and co2 into the atmosphere and, and uh, on 200 years now, the um, temperatures has been increasing by one, almost 1.2 degrees. And um, uh, that is a lot in, um, in uh, such a short time period. And um, uh, UN has said, and uh, based on, uh, of course, uh, science, that we should stop on 1.5 degrees. And uh, as of now, uh, the temperature is increasing by 0.2 degrees each each um, uh, decade, and uh, and um, so we will soon be at 1.5 degrees. So we are in a crisis situation, and um, uh, that is why 
the Secretary General of the UN has just recently said that we are knocking at the door of catastrophe and, and has declared code red. And if we look upon the perspectives, um, uh, we will not, with the current policy, stop at 1.5 or, or, or 2 degrees, which is the uh, maybe the upper limit, uh, UN has said. If you take all the pledges that was given at last climate summit in Glasgow put together, we will have almost three degrees warming uh, uh, by the end of the century. And then we will go from um, 14 degrees to 17 degrees in, in average temperature in, uh, in just two, 200 years. And, and that is catastrophe. We have to avoid it uh, for any price because we are then getting towards a, a planet where it is very difficult for people to live. So, so that is in a nutshell the, the, the crisis we have. And I have been talking about, and as you mentioned, we have been communicating for, for, for years, Alexander. And a good thing is that at the last uh, Glasgow summit now, uh, even the Boris Johnson uh, had a kind of um, understanding of crisis. And what he and other leaders said at that summit, if I said that five years ago, they would have called me uh, uh, to to preach for doomsday. So, so the crisis understanding is coming, but still the action is too slow. So, to to summarize, mm-hmm. we um, we are in a deep crisis. Uh, and you also mentioned um, nature, and uh, this that is yeah. as serious as the climate threat and they are, they are linked together but the, just a couple of, of, of uh, figures there uh, just the last 30 years uh, uh, we have lost 80% of the number of animals and birds and and insects and so forth not not individual species but uh, number so uh, today the uh, the uh, it's uh, if you take the weight of um, or, uh, uh, human beings and and uh, and uh, it and and the animals farm, farmed animals uh, that is now ninety four percent and only six percent is wild animals and if you go back the the uh, uh, this figure was was opposite so it goes so fast that uh, <coughs> it must also stop. Uh, almost immediately, because today we are put under asphalt and uh, paving um, uh, an area like uh, Great Britain every year. And, uh, you know, everything we wear, everything we eat, everything uh, that is around us comes in a way or another from the nature and we are killing it. And then that is self-suicide. So those two crises need to be solved very fast and we haven't managed to do that yet yeah 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 i must say i'm very much with you this this um uh, it's 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 dramatic how fast uh these developments are going both on climate change as as well as on on the loss of, of nature and um and also on pollution my, my last podcast with tom gamash uh, was on on plastic pollution and, and you could you could either say that it's part of the second one of yep. nature uh, but you could also say that's that's kind of third category that is that is rapidly increasing with it's, it's, plastic is now in the air it's in the oceans it's in our bodies it's in our food uh, and and uh, that's uh, that's another one of those rights and of course yeah they are all interrelated and from this um this this yeah dooming catastrophe of which I heard only one let's say hopeful element in your story that is that the politicians talk differently now than five years ago and I I noticed the same I have the impression that uh, five years ago they could just get away with you know all this all this kind of green activist stuff we we just say a few nice words and then we continue with our work <laughs> I have the impression that by now. They at least realize that this is a serious challenge that they have to tackle. Some of them realize it and then deny it. 
um, a country like Australia is, uh, is uh, well, I won't mention any names, but <laughs> to give one example, uh, that absolute denial of what is supposed to happen right now uh, is also a reaction. But I have no doubt that the people in charge there realize how, how bad it, it really is. Um, but then to... Yeah, to the theme of today, I introduce you as somebody who did not just notice this and then sat down and and realized how bad the situation in the world was. But you have dedicated much of your life in in working towards a better world, and I think in many ways you are an example of what somebody at an individual level or often in, 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 in a team in combination with other people, what you can achieve. So if you get this question that I have had, I'm sure you had it as well. So often people ask, what can I do? Where, where, where would you start? What advice would you give them? Well, <clears throat> first of all, I think that um, if individuals are not doing anything, we will not be able to solve the, uh, those major crises. So individuals have to act. And then what should they do? Uh, of course, it is good that you uh, <coughs> live uh, climate-friendly or nature-friendly, meaning that you should uh, drive less, fly less, eat uh, less red meat, and, and, uh, and do a lot of other things, uh, and that is important. But it is far from enough. Because to solve this crisis, we need to solve it in 10 years. And then uh, there is definitely a need for collective action. And you mentioned the politician, and um, yes, they are moving, but not fast enough. And if there are no collective action, then they will not uh, move fast enough. So in addition to doing the right things, which of course is important, uh, I think you need to, uh, there is many things you can do. Of course, you can, uh, you can vote uh, on those that would like to, to, to make a difference and, and to stop this uh, disaster. That is, that is for sure. You, you should do that. But um, there are many people out there that are uh, working to solve the crisis. Here in Norway, where I live, for instance, we have more than 100 organizations um, that every day is working to, to stop uh, climate crisis and nature loss. And uh, that is all kind of organizations. It is religious organization. It is, uh, of course, NGOs, uh, environmental NGOs. It is uh, political youth organizations. Uh, it is young people in schools and so forth. I myself is a member of something called uh, Grandparents for Climate. So every, every individual in the world, I think, can find an organization that is, uh, uh, suit, is uh, suited for their uh, uh, values, for their interests, for their background. So all individuals should join such an organization, even if they are not extremely uh, active yeah. but it is in itself extremely important to to join such an organization for they again need to be stronger to put pressure on uh, on on politicians and uh, if there are many the pressure is is uh, is much uh, more uh, uh, important than and and higher yeah so if, if we go one step back, you, you started with voting. Something that I wonder is that now, unlike, let's say, five years ago, basically everybody that I know, all the friends around me, they all realize now that uh, climate change is, is really a very serious and scary thing that we should tackle. Why are they still not voting for the right parties? Um, what is, so is there a role still for NGOs and individuals to convince more people to, to, to get more climate policies? Because it surprises me, if I look at the last elections in my own country, for instance, in the Netherlands, we voted in, in a majority right of center. So the, the parties that are there for the Christian Democrats that are very much about agriculture, for 
the Liberal Party, which which is very much the the party of of of, of business and 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 not not too much government spending, etc. Whereas the solutions are found by I believe there's a lot of solutions found actually in in within business, but you need a strong government to to give the right guidance. So it's uh, of course it's a completely different situation than the United States, and there's much more action taking place here. But I'm kind of surprised that now that we in the Netherlands see so much impact of climate change, that uh, that the reaction amongst the public isn't more more visible than you would expect. Is that the same in Norway? Yeah, it's uh, maybe even uh, <laughs> Norway is maybe an e- even better example on on uh, on why people are not. Uh, voting in the right direction you know we are we are a very rich oil country and um, and uh, we are in a spagat because uh, we have always also been very very uh, li- uh, much lis- uh, good listeners and, and good supporters to the UN and now when uh, uh, the secretary general goes out and say that there should be and even the uh, uh, energy bureau uh, <laughs> goes out and say that we should definitely not look for more oil. Uh, we, we, that's just what we do. So, so uh, uh, I think yeah. uh, we are probably afraid about uh, being uh, uh, poorer if we, if we don't, in a way, harvest all the money we can from, from uh, oil and gas exploration in Norway. That, that is one example. And... Uh, yeah, but on the other hand, you you have the richest sovereign wealth fund in the world. Yes, with only four four million people. Um, if that isn't enough for those four million, uh, no. how are we going to take care of the the other nearly eight billion on the planet that no, all no. have to do with so much less? No, but you have, you have you have a lot of countries without <coughs> without oil and gas and and coal production, and they would benefit from from. Yeah. Uh, from a fast green shift. And I didn't mention one thing that is as important yeah. as reducing emissions. And that is to speed up uh, 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 renewable energy production. Uh, yeah. what, what UN say, is saying is that we need to half emissions in, in 10 years, but in the same period, we need to triple uh, uh, production of new renewable energy. And, we have this uh, gas crisis uh, in uh, in all this energy prices in in uh, Europe today, and if we had invested more in developing um, renewable energy earlier, uh, we wouldn't have had the same crisis. So uh, these uh, <coughs> investments in uh, green investments need to to be speeded up and. Um, that is also a lot so uh, that means a lot of benefits to to business and opportunities but another another thing is that uh, the fossil lobby uh, in also in Norway is extremely strong towards these politicians so because they would like to to go on with the oil and gas and, and for that say coal production as long as they make money on it and uh, if we just leave this to the market, then uh, uh, there will be a, a tremendous crisis. So uh, politicians need to, in a way, we need to leave uh, big parts of the already uh, uh, identified resources of oil, gas, oil and gas in in the ground. And uh, and and you know, physically, this is in the ground, but uh, economically, it's always in the already in the balance to these uh, major fossil companies. So they are fighting very, very hard to to, to go on, and they have a lot of money and resources yeah. and put pressure on politicians. And and this is one issue that needs to be solved. I can give you the quick fix, because if we put a real price on uh, carbon. Uh, and stopped subsidizing fossil energy production, uh, which today is uh, one, uh, I think it is $10 million per minute. If we stop the subsidizing of fossil energy and 
uh, added the real price and cost or, uh, or the uh, uh, emissions. Uh, emissions yeah. would be reduced by 30% quite fast. And, and, that, and when you come to the, uh, to the uh, nature crisis, uh, UN has said that we need to, to uh, uh, conserve and protect 30% of the nature, and then, uh, then that can be solved. And that would give us another 15%, because today biodiversity is, uh, we lose uh, bio, uh, uh, bioenergy bio, uh, in the world, biomass, and um, if we stop that, we would have another 15%. So by these two actions that could be done by politicians in, um, in uh, fast, if they had the courage, and uh, then, then we would, in a way, be on a, on a 1.5C uh, uh, course uh, uh, warming. So that's the quick fix, and it is uh, not yeah. so complicated in, uh, in theory, but it's extremely uh, complicated politically and, and, uh, and in praxis. Yeah, yeah, I see. Now, I, I, I kind of like this quick fix. What we see in the Netherlands, for instance, is uh, I think we were among the first in the world where the NGOs were actually suing the government. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. said um, the constitution of the Netherlands, and I'm quite sure that, let's say, any constitution in any Western country has all kinds of lines in there, like the government is there to protect the people and, and, and those kind of things. They just took those kind of lines out of the constitution and then said, well, what the government is doing at the moment is actually the opposite. They are ruining our future and the future of our children. And that can never have been the idea of, of, of the constitution. And they went to court and they won. And that is, uh, that is amazing. And you see now examples happening all over the world of children uh, going to court and, and you see parents going to court and, and I'm not sure if your organization of grandparents in, uh, for the climate in Norway is, is also considering legal action. But I think that is a, let's say, a neat new way of, of campaigning that in a number of countries so far has been, has been rather effective. So I think it's a good example what you can do as, as individuals if you, if you get a group of, of like-minded people together. Yeah, we we did it in Norway together with the, with the, actually it was Greenpeace and Friends of the Earth and um, and we uh, we lost in the first instance, but there was a lot of good things coming out of it because we we from from the court said that we were right on many uh, uh, many parts of or argumentation. So it is it is coming, and as you say, it's coming all over the world. And what we did in the Netherlands was absolutely wonderful there because that has been used as encouragement to other people or other uh, cases around the world, as you said. Yeah, yeah, and you you mentioned you are involved in so many initiatives. Um, one that you mentioned was, uh, if is the title correct, as as grandparents for the climate. Uh, what what is the organization? What are you doing? Yeah, well, we are in a way. It's 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 a non political organization with uh, six thousand people. It's not that many, but we are uh, in a way joining forces with. Um, with young people, uh, we are worried about the uh, the motivation for for this movement is uh, that we are really worried for for the future of our grandchildren and and as I said initially, if we now get three centigrades by the end of the century when uh, when they still will be living then uh, then they are in absolutely big problems so so that motivation is is quite easy so and we try to su- support the young ones. Uh, uh, that's why, uh, for, for instance, Fridays for Future in, uh, in Norway, we are not telling the young people what to do, but if we can give them uh, some kind of support uh, or, or adv- whatever advice or, or help them, we do that. And as I've said many times, you talked about individuals and, and um, uh, Greta Thunberg, who is now is 18 years, the Swede, 
uh, when she was 15 years, she, she started sitting outside the, the uh, parliament in, uh, in uh, Sweden every Friday. And she said that I will be sitting here until you have produced a policy that is uh, good enough so that I can have a, a, a nice future. And then she got millions of children with her uh, all over the world in more than 150 countries. And this, and, and I, I do a lot of, I do a lot of, uh, or uh, teaching, or not teaching, but I, I give presentations in, in secondary schools and and other uh, to other students in Norway, and uh, I tell them that uh, it, they don't know how important they have been because of these uh, uh, school breaks they have been doing, and I'm explaining why because. Uh, and I've been joining most of these uh, 26 COPs since the start. And as we talked about earlier, um, heads of states are now starting to to change. Uh, not enough, but they, 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 I think they're really afraid now. And their best argument and why they are... Uh, when when they, when they make their speeches, is that they are referring to the young people and what they have been doing, and we have to do this for the future. So I, I tell the young young people that if you hadn't been doing this, we had been, you have really pushed the development, and without you, we have been uh, uh, more uh, uh, setback. So, and I even tell them that if anybody of you have been joining those uh, uh, strikes, I give you a. a, a a strong thank you because then you have done something that is really useful to yourself and, and to to your to other young children to to protect your future. So this has been extremely important, and it's an example in a way on on how an individual have started up something and how many other individuals had have has been strong. Uh, so um, uh, this is one of the things that really gives me hope that uh, what these young people are doing, and and it's not, it, it's easy to understand no, because no. because they they of course see these very simple things that if uh, if the world if the planet is warming with three degrees then they don't have a future and that is the way it's going. So that's so easy, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I see the same. I was living in uh, Stockholm uh, in, in the days that uh, that Greta started, ah. and uh, so I, I, I met her when she was still. I think she has a birthday in autumn, so I, I, she was still fifteen. I think she just started. She started in September. I think I met her for the first time in October or something. And um, but actually, a funny story. I was asked to do a TEDx talk in, I think it was in November. Uh, in uh, in the year that she started, and they they want me to talk about climate, but I, I couldn't. I was traveling. I said, "No, I'll, I'll do it another year." And um, but I was back in uh, in Stockholm unexpectedly on the day of those TEDx talk. So I, I I went there. And when I came in, the guy who had asked me said, uh, "Well, we have a surprise for you because we find some we found somebody else to do a talk on climate." I said, "Okay, that's interesting." And then as the very last speaker came Greta with um, a, uh, a, a fantastic speech, which has later been upgraded to a real TED Talk, and it's, it's been seen by millions and millions of people. So I'm very glad that I didn't go, because you know if I would have given a, given a TEDx talk, some people would have liked it when I posted it on Twitter, but it would, of course, never have had the impact that she had. Um, so I was glad that I was, uh, <laughs> that I was uh, traveling and doing other things. And um, yeah, I'm I'm very much impressed. I must say, it has changed. Even though I've been active on climate for ages, uh, it it the the activity of so many children has also changed my point of view. And I think they've been extremely powerful. They 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 show what you can do by having no money, having no political influence by being children. Exactly. Even they, even they, they, are, they are not able to vote. They're not even able to vote. And still they could they could set the agenda. And it, uh, of course, started in Sweden, but, but uh, people like uh, Vanessa Nakate and, and, and all kinds of others from all over the world are now actively joining. I actually wrote to Vanessa if she wanted to be in this podcast, but I didn't get a reaction yet. So I'll, I'll have to ping her on this one. Um 
and um, but yeah, so use is uh, certainly something. I believe you're also talking at schools, isn't that uh, right? Yes, I have been. I actually met twenty thousand students over the last three or four years. I've been together with a writer. We we have a presentation called "Hope for Catastrophe," where we talk about uh, the problems and and the solutions. And uh, and been around to one hundred and eighty schools. And and we also see um, uh, when when we start these presentations, I ask them how many of you are afraid about uh, what hap- what is happening with climate and nature and uh, and uh, whether that would be a problem for you in the future or your children in the future and there are more people raising their hands now but it's not everybody and and uh, you see one thing is Greta Thunberg and those young people which is so fantastic but if you talk a little bit more about knowledge and interests and so forth with with young people uh, they don't know very much about this. Uh, they know they don't know anything about the figures. They don't know how warm it, uh, it, it can be. They don't know what to do uh, and so forth. They don't know the scientific solutions around it. So it's like the school is a little bit afraid about doing this. Maybe they think that if we are really giving them the best uh, facts here, we are we are politicizing and and uh, so that is an issue. So even if Greta and her her uh, millions around the world is so important. There is so many young people still that is not uh, uh, thinking too much about this. And, and you can't blame them. It's so forth. But uh, they have, of course, uh, they ha- uh, many of them are, uh, are uh, like Greta. That is fantastic. But it's not the majority. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah, but it's at least it gives hope that we that we see so many that uh, that are active. And uh, looking at your CV, I mean, you've worked on so many different uh, sides of of climate change. Um, and by the way, before I go there, I saw that Lizzie had a question, so we'll we'll, we'll go there in, uh, in, in in when we were when we were a bit further. But something I wanted to touch upon first: um, you you also worked on on startups, on environmental or green or sustainable uh, startups. Could you say a bit about what you've done there? Because I I always believe that the business community is an essential part in 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 moving towards a greener world we yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we haven't talked about the business sector and of course that is extremely important and you know if i think the what the, the politicians cannot solve the crisis they, and if we are everything that we need to implement uh, more or less need to be implemented in my view by the private sector and by companies so that we need to stimulate policy so that uh, the investments goes in the right direction. And, and there is also a move now. So what we see now is a, a kind of fight between the fossil uh, part of the business sector and the green part of the business sector. And here is also big hope because if politicians really understand this and, um, and then uh, 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 stimulate the green part and, and, and dare to take away subsidizing of the fossil part, then again, uh, the hope is much higher. And that is also possible to do quite fast. What I've been doing and what individuals can do is that I have been, uh, well, I have a a small company and it's not very big and there is not a lot of money, but uh, I have invested in um, maybe four or five startups and um, at least one of them has done very well. And... uh, and uh, very, very strictly, uh, I only involve in uh, in uh, business that uh, is part of the solution. So, um, uh, but but I've been maybe quite lucky there. But even uh, an individual without um, everybody could do some kind of green crowdfunding, for instance. You could put just one or five dollars into into something through crowdfunding and again you can as an individual participate contribute so so business sector is crucial and um, and uh, it is uh, amazing how much they can do if in a way they're allowed and one example there is uh, um, you know we have the equinor the former start oil in Norway, a huge big oil company and 
and then you have uh, Årsted uh, in in Denmark that has converted completely from oil and gas production uh, exploration in the North Sea to uh, be a green uh, company. And they are much smaller when it comes to turnover than the Norwegian Equinor. But their value on the stock exchange is, is more or less the same. So, so uh, business is going in the right direction, but again, too slow. And here, here is a solution yeah. for, for, um, for um, uh, uh, politicians, because I, I, I say that if you think in economical terms, if you're not getting out of this oil uh, uh, venture and uh, adventure and goes into the green, you, you will uh, lose money by the end. So, so here is something uh, that uh, I think can work also quite fast. And that is, uh, so it, if I summarize that, that also means uh, a role, <coughs> sorry, a role for government, because oh, at least one of the things that I see uh, so much is the role of subsidies uh, worldwide. We still, all the governments together, if you, if you put the whole world together, there's 20 times as much subsidies on fossil fuel than on renewable energy. Uh, which has been calculated recently by, by ARENA, the International Renewable Energy Agency uh, in Abu Dhabi or Bonn, one of the two branches. Mm. And uh, I think that is amazing. So governments are subsidizing the thing that is killing us. And that is actually the, mm. old, uh, the old economic model. Um, in, uh, I think there's a lot of hope as well, where you see that... Mm. People are divesting at an individual level. Uh, the, the very few stocks that I have are all green. Uh, I see a lot of other people doing it, but also in collective action. So, for instance, in Netherlands, we have a huge uh, pension fund. All the civil servants, have, when from the day that you start as a civil servant and all the decades that you work there, every month part of your salary is put in a pension fund. So that is an enormous pile of money that is, of course, invested. And they have now, after a lot of pressure from the public, announced that uh, they will go green. So they will all the oil and gas investments uh, will now be thrown out in, I think, within the next two years or so, really in a, in a very fast pace. So, yeah, I, I see on, on the business side all kinds of interesting movements happening. And you see, of course, that the, the return on investment is often extremely profitable on uh, in all kinds of, uh, of green companies. Yeah, and, 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 and if, if now we have this energy crisis and, and these high prices in Europe, and of course that makes now the fossil oil and gas production even more, more profitable than, than it has been. But if we had, and they are subsidized, uh, if we had... Um, uh, put that subsidizing over to the green uh, side and and started faster with the offshore wind farms uh, and and solar and, and and other solutions then this crisis had had been less so and it goes in that direction so if we had plenty of time we could have left this to the market but we don't have that time and that's why politicians need to go in there and 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 stimulate the de development but it's yeah. a lot of opportunity for for green business and uh, yeah. and individuals could should yeah. as you talk about the big finance should put their money only in green uh, investments, nothing else, of course. That would help. So there are so many things individuals can do. I, I think it's, yeah. I said it to you earlier that nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. So if we can push individuals to do something, yeah. we, are, we have a, a good, good, good uh, push on the solution. And if individuals is not doing anything, then yeah. we are in deep trouble. So that's why individuals are important. And as you said it, even without working yeah. and money, these young people has made a difference. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good line, actually. I'll, I'll, I'll keep that one in mind. Briefly, back on, 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 on energy. Where are you on nuclear energy? Um, is it, is it, uh, is it green or is it dirty? And is it part of the solution or not? Because that's well, always a tricky one. Because yeah, a lot of no, people no, in the environmental no. movement, they, they, they grew up protesting against nuclear energy. Um, and yeah. now, yeah, you, you, there's, there's something to say for it that it's actually much, much cleaner. I was, I was uh, when I, when I was young, I was definitely against. But when you see now the, the uh, size of the crisis we are uh, uh, meeting, and for, and, uh, and then I think that the nuclear is part of the solution. Uh, I think today it provides, uh, I don't know, uh, something like 10% of the energy. And um, uh, I have di- I have discussed this with uh, <coughs> with um, uh, oh this guy in in uh, we talked about the other day uh, D- James Hansen yeah he is uh, uh, and, 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 uh, he, he, is, he uh, said to me once yeah. that uh, and I agree with him that the the debate around uh, uh, nuclear is very much in a way uh, <laughs> based on on feelings and not not uh, facts and science so so i think that uh, yeah. given the uh, given the uh, size of the problem uh, nuclear is part of the solution but on the other side now it is very expensive it takes long time and and so forth so w- whether it is it's not it's not the solution because but it's part of it and uh, and 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 one other thing when you talk about nuclear uh, <laughs> and and we talk about we, we, we haven't talked much about nature but you know uh, two of the most so to say uh, nature rich areas of the world now is chernobyl and the uh, Bikini Island, and and both those islands was then you had the nuclear uh, uh, disaster as everybody is knowing about, and and before that you had the atomic uh, uh, testing, bomb testing in in the Bikini Islands, and those two areas now is one of the really <laughs> areas of the world with a lot of wildlife. What is that telling us? It is telling us that if we leave yeah. the and nature uh, by itself, it recovers very fast and it can get strong. So that is uh, is uh, worth to to know. And getting back yeah. to this, that the solution to nature is to to keep thirty uh, percent uh, of the uh, uh, of the world uh, protected for 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 nature. Then that. And that without nature, we, without yeah. a robust nature, we are not able to to solve the climate crisis. And uh, if it, if if we have three degrees, we could even see that uh, the Amazon is collapsing due to uh, warming. And of course, uh, uh, a world without rainforest is uh, is probably not possible to live in. So we have to to hand these two. <coughs> um, crisis in which we have to have two thoughts in the head <clears throat> at once and and there is a debate in Norway of course now that um, if we put a lot of windmills then we are <clears throat> destroying the nature and we need to find this balance uh, uh, because we have to protect both the nature and we have to solve the climate crisis here we have to listen to the uh, to the um, uh, scientists who could maybe find the balance and and a lot of this is also that I want to have it in my own backyard, and that is not a legal argument in my point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can imagine uh, you have Norway, which is I don't know how many times Netherlands, at least ten times I would say, or maybe eight times the Netherlands. Yeah. Is that you is, four is million debate, people? Is that the debate in Netherlands? You are, you are, and you are, yeah, I just want to say, country. <laughs> yeah, we so we have seventeen million people uh, in in a fraction of the size of Norway. And, uh, and we have, of course, we, we are a traditional windmill country of the 17th century type. So we still have about 1,000 of them. And the tourists love it. Um, and we love it. Uh, but uh, these wind turbines are, of course, in a windy country like the Netherlands. We are flat and we're next next to the North Sea. Uh, are, of course, a great solution. And, yeah, there's a lot of debate about it. Um, sometimes quite relevant because, you know, you don't, 
one half. That's in literally in your backyard. There must be a bit of distance. Sometimes it gets a bit silly, uh, in my opinion, that uh, there are people complaining that if you lay on the beach, well, not if you lay on the beach, then you don't see them, but if you stand on the beach and it's really bright weather and you, you have really, really good eyes, you can see far in the distance on a spot on the horizon, you can see some windmills. And some people say that's, that's ruining the landscape, uh, which is considering the alternative that you burn fossil fuels, I think a completely silly debate. But it's, it's of course, uh, we are a country of planning. Um, I studied geography, uh, which many people do in the Netherlands. Uh, when I studied, we had the second, second biggest geography uh, department in the world uh, for the very simple reason that in this country every square meter you have to negotiate about what you can do with it so um so we, from from our dutch perspective we see norway as a kind of you know heaven where you have so much space you can yeah, put yeah. windmills wherever you like wind turbines i should say and, but, but, um, but with your yeah. with your uh, with your um, uh, small area and, and 17 millions, you still produce a lot to agriculture and and food. You're you're a big food. Yeah. Pro- that that was at least what I learned in school. That uh, you really was big yeah. uh, food pr- producers. Yeah, we do. I think we're like the second food producer in the world, or something, or the second food exporter to the US, or those kind of numbers. But but it's. It's an incredible amount of food that we produce, which has uh, the big downside that, uh, of course, the EU has now set norms on uh, how much uh, nitro- nitrogen oxides, etc., can be produced. And we are above the limit because it's, it's, uh, we, we produce more than we can, can roll out on the land again. So we're... Uh, you see, for instance, the dunes where I live here. So I live live close to a beautiful dune nature area. One of the problems we have is that it's basically being fertilized from the air by, yeah. by the pollution in the air. So we get it gets too green. So what uh, what uh, uh, forest conservatory people are doing is just rolling out, uh, rolling away the top layer. So you get, again, these, these huge patches of sands that are being blown away in, in, in the wind and that change their shapes all the time because that is the natural landscape. So if we don't interfere, it gets, it just gets too green. You get all kinds of beautiful flowers, etc. that don't belong there. So you could say the country is, by pollution now, too fertile. So it, it is a big problem because we have to get those numbers down. And that means in the political debate, it should be either in the building industry or it should be in agriculture. And both, uh, both industries point at each other that the other one should start. So it's, um, it's, it's one of the things that makes it difficult to find a compromise in, in, in our government between all parties because everybody has an interest there. So yeah, it's, 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 it is really complicated as it is in, uh, in, in your country. I saw earlier that um, I think Lizzie wanted to ask a question and then I ignored her because you and I were still talking. Um, so if Lizzie or Olivia or Mira or Ida, if you, if you uh, want to raise your hand or, or press on the, on the call in button, uh, you're, you're most welcome to join. Um, but in the meantime, if I don't see uh, uh, any reactions, um there's there's one more thing I have on my list that I that I wanted to ask you about because I know that you were involved in setting up a network of battery cities, but I don't know anything more about it than that I know that you were involved there. What are you still working on it? And what is, yeah, what well, is it about? I'm, I'm, uh, <coughs> I used to be an environmental ambassador to to the city of Andal, and I'm I'm still working with them and. <coughs> um, it has just been decided that uh, Andal uh, <coughs> will be the location of a new battery fabric, which will give us maybe three, four thousand jobs, and we <coughs> in a in a small city with only forty thousand people, and and this battery industry, which is uh, needed for the green shift, uh, just to mention that because when you when. Uh, New renewable energy has to be, uh, uh, in a way, uh, 
production need to be tripled. We need much, much more, uh, more expansion on batteries. And, uh, and then there is now around 30 battery, 30 or 40 plants uh, uh, under planning around in Europe. And, uh, and uh, I've taken an initiative for those host cities, the battery fabrics, to, to talk together, to find out, uh, to, to, uh, to, uh, to share experience and to, because there will be a tremendous pressure on infrastructure, on nature, as we talked about, on green business, spin-off around it and so forth. So, so that's that. Uh, I also wanted to, <clears throat> there was one, I think, important thing in this, when we talk about individuals and so forth, that we haven't been talking about then. And that is consumption. And, and uh, in Norway, very many people say that, okay, the solution is that we, con- uh, we, uh, we buy less. I agree. And, and at least that uh, uh, we, in the rich world, we don't need to be able to buy more. We should buy less. But uh, given my uh, experience from, from Africa, from Nairobi, from uh, uh, we had... Um, Hundreds of delegations that came down to us and they said that, well, uh, we want to do like you. We want to explore the natural resources and then we will be rich and then we will clean up afterwards. So uh, we have to uh, we have to realize that you cannot say to a poor person in Africa that you are not going to uh, buy more. Uh, That is impossible to say. So another part of the solution which is also a problem and which was discussed in uh, in uh, in uh, Glasgow and and will be discussed in the next one in in Egypt is is in a way international funding uh, funding or, or or green shift in in the poor countries if we are not you know <coughs> we manage the um, well, we haven't solved it, but the pandemic, uh, the, the COVID, we yeah. unlimited resources and that will be solved. And we talked about why don't we do anything with climate? Even if it is quite acute, it is not so acute as the pandemic. So if this threat is coming very close, uh, we will we will make, we will, we will probably solve it. But one part of that solution is to to put much more money to the poor countries that has haven't, uh, in a way, contributed to to uh, climate change, and uh, and uh, and uh, if we don't do that, we will not uh, solve the problem. Yeah, yeah, I I, I believe very much uh, the same that I think the inequality in the world is inter intricately linked with with with, with the whole climate change and the climate action agenda. Um, there's uh, it, it. It often came back in the, in the earlier podcasts in how unfair the whole situation is, and the only way to 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 get us out of this mess also includes um, uh, fighting for more equality in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's uh, it's it's linked in so many ways, and we we won't solve it the other way. And it's I think there's a lot of Western arrogance uh, in in. You know, we, we were the ones who polluted the whole world. We in the West, uh, nowadays, you can say it is it is uh, also countries like China and India. But there are still a huge amount of countries that um, think about the whole continent of Africa, for instance, yeah. that has hardly contributed anything, and they are the first that gets get 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 hit worst by what's going on and mm. I think it's outrageous that we as as the Western countries have been so reluctant even to give the money that we had already promised to give. That yeah, even, I mean, even that we didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that is also I mean from from a future historic perspective, if if in fifty years from now somebody's going to write a book about what happened in these years that will be a separate chapter about how yeah, and, and how you, badly you, we behaved. Yeah, and you asked me about whether I was an optimist, and in a way I am. But uh, and I, I have always been a, a, a technology optimist, a technology optimist. But uh, it is more difficult uh, when the crisis is uh, is so severe. But uh, also when yeah. the crisis is really severe, then uh, then we will be able to act. So so that gives optimism. 
And, and another thing is that when, a, when there is a threat mm. out there, you can, in a way, solve it in two ways. You can cooperate or you can fight. And what I'm afraid of now, and of course, I also talk about this in NATO and, and, and the, for security reasons. What, what I am afraid of now is that uh, and refugees will now be ba- um, mainly due to, uh, to climate change, if we pass two degrees at least. So I'm, I'm afraid of, of uh, big uh, walls and people starting shooting instead of cooperating cooperating on on a solution and that is a that is a very very ugly scenario and it might come so all these things uh, of course says that we have to act as soon as possible yeah. and and individuals are crucial in uh, and what they do voting acting joining organizations uh, investing they are uh, in a way absolutely basic at least in those countries that we yeah. uh, still say is democratic countries yeah which is uh, which is about half of the world but depends a bit on your definition i think mm. um but uh, but but still yeah in any democracy uh, i i just hope that people at the individual level step up whatever they do and it it starts at the easiest level just at home the the famous debate about shorter showers uh yes it helps <laughs> if you take a shorter shower but even if everybody in the world would take a shorter shower it 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 wouldn't solve uh, the climate no. crisis, but but every little bit helps. And, yeah, and, yeah, uh, that that's why yeah. you you cannot say that uh, that is absolutely correct. It you should take a shorter shower, but it will not solve the problem. But if you are not willing to contribute yeah. uh, as an in- individual uh, uh, to do these things, that obviously is uh, is uh, important and. Then you are not probably willing to to do other things that are needed uh, as an individual. So, yeah. so, so that's why uh, what you do as an individual is extremely important, actually. And and everybody, yeah. every, everybody yeah. can uh, can contribute to to making a difference, and they should. Yeah, it changes the mindset in a way. In in if you're if yourself. Conscious about these kind of issues, I was. I was just uh, just hours ago. I was in in the local uh, supermarket in the village, and I just noticed as a vegetarian how much more vegetarian options are available now compared to just just three or five years ago. Uh, the quality is so much better. There's so much choice, and so the, so that's really interesting that there is such a uh, such a shift taking place or. Um, where you see that on packaging, they say now on the packaging, this has 60% less plastic uh, than, uh, than the previous packaging mm-hmm. methodology. Uh, it still means there's, there's, uh, there's plastic used, but it's much less. So this kind of environmental awareness, that I'm aware that there's a lot of greenwashing, but, but even if you look from that a bit more cynical perspective, the fact that they are greenwashing means that the producers realize that the audience wants more green products. So I think all that is, uh, is a hopeful movement. And, yeah, that, uh, that is, that is yeah. correct. So, so you, can, you can wonder why the politicians are not doing more. And I think um, uh, getting back to that, because it looks now like voters... And is actually more than the government are doing when according to to nature yeah. protection. We have and, a and connection problem, I think. And, um, uh, and um, I think still that the impact from the um, uh, very very powerful fossil uh, industry is uh, uh, is uh, hampering this development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly, well, as they have been doing for for a very long time. Yeah. And uh, although I must say, just looking at our brand new government, that after more than two hundred something days of negotiating, we finally have a government with four parties. Uh, I am. Uh, I think only one of them, you could say, is left of center uh, of those four parties. But I think the compromise that came out is so much more greener than we have seen. 
uh, up till now, and and that's that's also gives a lot of hope uh, that uh, the governments are slowly starting to get it. They're too late, uh, but yeah, better better late than never. Um, so there's uh, there's a lot of uh, optimism there. Um, and I, I see that we've been already talking for an hour, so I think we. Um, uh, I would I would love to have you back in in the podcast, uh, Sven, because I I know that there's so much more that we can talk about. Uh, maybe if if you're interested, I think in the future when we have like you know, um, developing news in the field of environment and something like you know COP26 taking place or or all kinds of environmental events. It would be interesting to um, to get you back in the in the new show and 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 discuss what is what is going on. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Alexander. It was a pleasure to to talk with you. The the hour went very fast, and uh, I would be happy to to do something with you in the future. Perfect. Well, we'll we'll stay in touch. Also, outside of uh, outside of the pod, this podcast. Uh, I would like to join the people that uh, to thank the people that uh, that uh, that joined today, and um, uh, I I also uh, hope that a lot of people will listen to the podcast once we publish it, which will probably be only next week because I think it will be difficult in the Christmas week to get uh, yeah. a, a live audience and still to write a bit about uh, the previous people that I uh, that I had in the show. But I'll I'll give you a. Uh, I'll let you know once uh, once it's up on um, on Twitter and on the on the Planet newsletter. And yeah, let me let me end by thanking you, thanking the audience as well, wishing everybody a beautiful Christmas. I'm not sure if I'll be back up in the air before Christmas. And uh, leave that that. Thanks so much for uh, for joining. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.